You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Cult is this morning, just in brief, because as I was studying it out, <laughs> I could have spent ten, 10 Sundays on it. I thought I'd try to condense it into part of one, so you're going to be getting only a tiny bite of the sandwich. But when a cult begins, one of the things they like to do is have their own systematic theology complete with words and ideas. So in honor of that, I made a word up this morning, or this week, that we will learn to this week, uh, this Sunday. It's a new word. Pardon me? Yeah. And, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a word that's very hard to pronounce, so you will sound erudite when you use it. Um, but you'll have to be careful because sometimes, don't use this word if you have parts of a sandwich in your mouth. Because the people around you will be wearing those parts of the sandwich. At least that's what happens with me. So later on this morning, we will learn our new word. But meanwhile, we're going to be um, reading in 1 Corinthians. We'll read first, then we'll pray. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1. How far do I think we'll make it this morning? <laughs> Thanks, Brad. No, Jim would make it to verse 2. I'll make it to all the way to verse 3. Uh, we'll, we'll read through verse um, 21. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you, for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, <laughs> that no man should say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, that the cross of Christ should not be made void. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not come to know God, 
God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Let's pray. Father, every part of salvation must be instigated and completed by you. You have to draw the person. You have to change their heart. You have to give them salvation. And then you maintain that salvation by the work of your Son and the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so it's this morning as we look at this section of 1 Corinthians where Paul speaks of baptism and of the difficulties that attended the church there and that attend the churches today in following people and not Christ. Might we hear your wisdom and might we have a new love, even more of a love for you and for what you have done for us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, baptism is important. It's very important. Paul Paul talks about it here, and, and as we get into this section, you're going to see uh, how, how important it is and how it wasn't what Paul was about. And for those who believe baptism is everything, that you must be baptized to be saved, verse 14 is a very difficult verse. And we'll talk about that a little bit as well. We're going to, we're going to look at, like I said earlier, a little bit about what, how cults form, and, um, and why they're around, and uh, maybe not very deeply into it, because as I said, it would take, it, we could study that four, five, six Sundays, and just scratch the surface. How many of you have read The Kingdom of the Cults? It's a good, it's a good primer for the cults, uh, especially the chapter on the psychology of the cults. Um, the man who wrote it, uh, was probably at the time the foremost author on cults, Walter Martin. And uh, the interesting thing about cults and about those types of followings is sometimes it doesn't look like they intended to start the way they did. It just happened. Well, there's no such thing as we all know as something just happening. But uh, (laughs) where the Spirit of the Lord is, where the truth is, there's a guard against that. As long as, as God's people are willing to acknowledge their own weaknesses and willing to be accountable to one another, there's a guard for that. But in this church, in the church at Corinth, what seemed to be a good thing, I am of Paul. Well, I'm of Cephas. Were those good people? You know, biblically speaking, of course, none of us, there is none righteous, not one. Only the Lord is. But, but from a human perspective and from a teaching perspective... Do we think that at this time Peter was probably teaching the right gospel? And so was Paul. And Apollos had been corrected by Prilla and Aquila. Prilla, Priscilla, Prilla. That's a shampoo. Priscilla and Aquila. He had been corrected. And of course the Lord Jesus Christ never taught anything but the exact truth. So it wasn't that they were looking to the wrong people. It was the wrong attitude. It was the idea that uh, we need to look to a person. We need to have uh, a team, if you will. And then we end up dividing. So, as we get into this this morning, uh, if you have any questions, please, please ask. The, the cults are a... Thomas, I'm suggesting that within the Church of Corinth, there was the potential for cults to start. Yes. And I'm also suggesting that within, unfortunately, within just about any church, that potential is there. If the attitude is wrong, if the leadership is, is not what they ought to be, the potential is there. Um, 
And we'll see, I mean, Paul had to deal with it. So as we get into this, last week we, we, we finished up with verse 13. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Paul's calling them back to Jesus, calling them back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't look to me. I wasn't the guy you were baptized into. I didn't die for you. I could, and and, and in, he could have carried on and said, I couldn't have died for you. I'm just a man. Ron, even that with the wrong attitude can be the beginning of a problem. Well, you guys are all fallen humans. I follow God. If the attitude is wrong, and isn't it often just about attitude, about heart, most often about heart, I'm of Christ. You guys are all dumber than a post. If you knew what you were doing, you would do what I was doing. Thank you, Thomas. I think I have an idea to solve that. Anyway, so that's why Paul included even that. I am of Christ. Don't divide, is what Paul was saying. All of you, follow the truth. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit, not the Spirit of Paul, Cephas, Apollos, and Jesus, but only of the Spirit of God. Only of the Spirit of God. So he stressed this, and, and then he goes into, and then, and then uh, also there must have been little factions forming about who baptized who. And so he said, I thank God that I baptized none of you, verse, 13, verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Crispus and Gaius. He baptized only those two, he, he says in this verse. Crispus was the head of the synagogue in Corinth, and keep that in mind. I only baptized Crispus and Gaius, he said. And he was likely converted by Paul very early in his ministry to Corinth in Acts chapter 8, 18. Crispus, it says, The Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. Gaius was most likely the owner of the home that Paul stayed in when he wrote the epistle to Romans. That's outlined in Romans 16, 23. Paul says, Gaius, host to me and to the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the city's treasurer, greets you, and Quartus, the brother. <clears throat> it is believed that this fellow named Gaius, his home was probably next door to the synagogue, and he may also be the person that is being referred to in John chapter, in 3 John 1.1, 1, 1, uh, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Um, and this is, now this is, um, this is subjective, this is ideas, uh, not necessary. I'm not calling this scripture, but this is, some sanctified imagination of the people who have commented and, and studied the Scripture for the last 2,000 years. In John 3 John 1, 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. If so, then the Diotrephes mentioned in verse 9 is likely one of the causes of the problems of the contention in Corinth. 3 John 1, 9 and 10. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does unjustly, accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. He himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. He loves to be first, and that's what animates the faction. That's what animates someone who would say, well, I'm of Peter. Well, I'm of Jesus. They want to be first. And so if it's very possible that Diotrephes would have been one of the contributors to the problems in Corinth. Now Paul says, 
<laughs> this is an amazing thing. I thank God that I didn't baptize very many of you. Well, what? Isn't baptism important? Well, in this particular case, Paul is looking at what happened, and he's grateful that he didn't set up even more factionalism accidentally. To have been baptized by the Apostle Paul would have been a great honor. Some would say that they would use that as a method for elevating themselves in the church. This, in, in one aspect, is how cults get started. Someone in leadership in a church begins to believe his own press releases. He begins, to be more, he begins to be convinced of his ability more so than maybe the others in the church. He's got it where they don't have it. He's the man. He begins to think along these lines. And it can be subtle. It can, be, it can take a long time. It can happen in a compressed amount of time. But the fact is, somebody who's a teacher, who's responsible for some of the flock or most of the flock or whatever, or the money or whatever, Judas was responsible for the money, he begins to think more of himself than he ought to. And that is pretty easy to do, unfortunately. Ego and pride take over and you have a faction in the making of a, and the makings of a split possible that would result in a new cultic entity that goes off on its own. So what is a cult? And I've got some slides up here we're going to kind of look at. Generally, it is a group. I took this out of CARM Apologetics. Uh, you can get this online. It's a reasonably well put together um, chart of how cults get started. And then they list numbers of cults. There's lots of them. Um, generally, it is a group that is unorthodox, esoteric, and has a devotion to a person, an object, or a set of new ideas. I am of Paul. <laughs> how many times do people who are Honest Bible teachers have cults or factions form under them that they know nothing about and find out later on that they thought I was teaching that. That happens too. Well, in this particular case, the church had begun to split into factions. And what happens is you get a new teaching. It has a new theology and a new doctrine. And it's the only true teaching. It's what you need. This is, how, this is another part of a cult. It often considers traditional religious systems to be apostate, and it alone contains and possesses the complete truth. It has, it'll generally end up with strong leadership. Often an individual or a small but powerful leadership group holds control of the group's teachings and practices. Um, sometimes that, teach, that leadership is so strong that just suggestions from the leadership will cause unbelievable results. It is said of Mary Baker Eddy at one time, she called herself Mother. That was what she, was, she liked to be called in relation to her followers. She, one time, she wrote a letter regarding, regarding a rocking chair, something about desiring a rocking chair. And the um, shipping companies could not handle the demand. She got more rocking chairs than you could shake a stick at. And uh, my guess is, I wasn't there, but my guess is she probably went, hmm, that's pretty slick. Then she needed a coat. And she described the coat. I don't remember how many she got, but the same thing happened. And that's the kind of slavish devotion that you'll see in cults that will be following the leadership. There'll be asset acquirement. Often it requires tithing and or property transfer to a religious system. Um, and they're usually very, very strict about that. You, it's actually a, an expo, it's, an, it's a, 
It's a picture of your devotion to them about how much you're willing to give up of your money, your time, your property, etc. People will transfer over whole tracts of estates and properties to cults. Uh, now, there's a positive thing. That, there's, it, that can be done properly in the mind of someone who wants to maybe endow a good, solid Bible teaching. Hopefully that if they do that, they take the time ahead of time to set up all the required controls and, and legal parameters that will make certain that that money is only ever used in the proper um, exposition of Scripture teaching. But that doesn't happen here. They'll be isolationists. They'll facilit- this will facilitate control over the members physically, intellectually, financially, and emotionally. You need to get away from people who don't think like you. And I mean get away. You need to be with us in our little compound. They'll be controlling. They'll exercise control over the members. Sometimes this is through fear. They'll threaten loss of salvation if you leave the group. Sometimes through indoctrination, which leads to indoctrination. That, that is methods to reinforce, reinforce the cult's beliefs and standards where opposing views are ridiculed and often, often, almost always, misrepresented. Anybody's opposing view is misrepresented using false teaching, using, misusing the scriptures, etc. It's often apocalyptic. It gives the members a future focus and a philosophical purpose in avoiding the apocalypse or being delivered through it. And through the first and second century, so much of this developed especially apocalyptic. Uh, The Apocrypha came about, and lots and lots of teachings uh, in the first two, three, four centuries after Christ that that met all of these requirements. They They will often... They will often emphasize experience. Sorry, I didn't get to the next chart there. Um... They, they will include meditation, repetition of words or phrases, spiritual enlightenment with God or used as confirmation of their truth. And you will find that experience is given equal and often more importance to Scripture. It will be more important what your experience was. And you will confine, or excuse me, conform Scripture to your experience rather than the reverse. We're required, whenever we have an experience, we're to drop it through the sieve of Scripture. And what comes through the bottom and hasn't been held back by the truth is what we can go with. What doesn't make it through was just an indigestion, probably. There will often be um, deprivation, uh, sleep and food deprivation. Uh, It's uncommon, practiced by some of the more severe cults. Persecution, there'll be predictions of being persecuted. There'll be uh, demonstrations of persecution, often combined with claiming any opposing view demonstrated against them is persecution. So just name-calling, that's persecution. Um, and, I, and I would say that as an aside, or jump to, a, jump to an aside here. We have some persecution in the United States, but nothing like what goes on around the world, people, where people actually can lose their lives for trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, we can lose our self-image. <laughs> I don't want to downplay it. it. It's painful, it's harmful, but it's good to keep in perspective that at least in this country right now, we still have the freedom to express ourselves. There are places where if you express your trust and your belief and your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, you may be beheaded for that. Um, Back to this. Many, and if not many, maybe most, have non-verifiable belief systems. For example, they would teach something that cannot be verified. There's a spaceship behind the Hale-Bope Comet. And only those with the proper 
Spiritual enlightenment can see it. Or that God, an alien or an angel, appeared to the leader and gave him a revelation. That happens all the time. It happens today. Uh, I could tell you about something recently that happened. And if you ask me afterwards, I don't want to devolve into the politics, but ask me afterwards and I can share with you something that, that was terrible that happened. But it was, it, was, it was started by a, quote, revelation from God. The members are seated angels from another world, etc., Often the philosophy makes sense only if you adopt the full set of values and definitions that it teaches because it has to have context. Did... Yes, sir, Justin. Yeah, the interesting thing about Mormonism, oh, I, I, I could get off into that, I won't, but Justin pointed out that both Islam and Mormonism come from a confrontation or a meeting with an angel. Uh, let's see. The members are seated angels. Okay. Often the philosophy makes sense only if you have the full set. And then with this kind of belief, truth becomes unverifiable, internalized, and easily manipulated through the philosophical systems of its inventor. They can, it's like nailing jello to the wall. It's like Gnosticism. They can absorb, you can shoot them with the truth. Maybe that's a poor metaphor. But it goes in and the wound heals instantly and they form a whole new blood system that explains the wound. This is why this happened, and, and, and I understand what you're saying. And, and that's because, and then they, they create this new belief system. They can adopt any, anything you throw at them and, make, and mold it into their belief system, B- bring it right into their system and, and adopt it too and make it teach their truth. It's an amazing thing. It's kind of, it's kind of like, no, I won't get into that. <laughs> There's a great deal more to this including the charismatic and specially appointed leadership who are generally appointed by God. The leadership was appointed by God. Uh, the cult generally tries to do good works, and its, inherent, its adherents are often moral, but, and the Bible is generally used, but they have additional scriptures that are necessary, as well as the proper interpretation of the scripture, which only the leader or the leadership can provide you. They vary... The cult will vary from ascetic to promiscuous. They vary from mysterious to simple. They will prey on the rich or the powerful, the poor and the weak. Everyone is vulnerable. And indeed, those who start and operate these groups are often pretty good at spotting the vulnerable. Most of them will add Jesus as their own. And they specialize in taking the Bible out of context. Proof texting and building doctrines on non-existent teachings or areas where the scriptures are silent. I've seen so many doctrines built on areas where the scriptures are silent. And how do you deal with that? Well, you deal with where the scripture is telling us what it's telling us. Cults are appealing to different people for different reasons. And those reasons are myriad. People become dependent. They become isolated, indoctrinated, and even brainwashed. So they stay. Many of us have probably had family members involved in these. And we wonder, why? Why do they stay? What is, what is the attraction? The cult will substitute the leader and the leadership for the mother, father, teacher, and will seek to win their favor and approval. The the followers will seek to win their leadership's favor and approval. Paul did not want the Corinthian church to seek his approval. He did not want them to seek his favor. Was I crucified for you, he said? Were you baptized into me? No. They're told that if they leave the group, they would betray God and the leader, and they will suffer destruction from turning from God. 
So we revisit, we look at verses 13 and 14 again. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you. None of these leaders that formed these false, false uh, philosophies were, were, were crucified for you, nor were you baptized into them. Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. A proper spiritual leader will be delighted when those that he's responsible to teach seek only the Lord Jesus Christ. Seek only the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it's unfortunate when, like I said earlier, when, when leadership begins to breathe, believe its own press releases. And when you have someone like that in leadership, they need to be removed quickly and dealt with. Any questions? Any comments? Yes. That's a good point. Sometimes the more dangerous cults are ones that are subtle, that don't have the more strange teachings. Um, and some of them hide their stranger teachings from only, and only reveal them to the elite in the group, which is, again, a form of Gnosticism. Like I said earlier, we could, we could go on. I could, I, I could have really fleshed this out and, and spent a lot of time in it. Maybe sometime we'll do something like that. But, but for this morning, what I wanted to point out was it divides the body. It points people to someone other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It lifts up, it elevates someone other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, there's a problem. If leadership is doing anything but pointing the flock to the, to the Son of God, to the Holy Spirit, to the Father, to the Scriptures, to the Scriptures, and to the Scriptures that you should study them and check out what I say. If I'm afraid of, what, of you checking out what I'm saying, you need to get rid of me right away. Right away. Because that means I believe my own press releases. I don't give press releases. They would not be very salutary. Verse 15. So that no one would say you were baptized in my name. So that no one... Verse 14. Uh, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. So that no man should say to you, should say you were baptized in my name. Here we have a wonderful insight into the inspiration of, or excuse me, Paul would have none of this. Jump to my own. See, I'm, it's a good thing I don't believe my own press releases. I can't even follow my own outline. Paul would have none of this. He said, you weren't baptized in my name. I was not crucified for you. Paul always pointed and directed people to the, to the Lord. And the truth of the word of God, this occult leader does not do. Uh, while it's not wrong to have a special affection for certain persons, such as the one who baptized us or the one the Lord used to help bring us to, to salvation, our allegiance should be to Christ only so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Our devotion to Him should be paramount and should be complete. Paul was not only unflattered that a group in Corinth was using him as their highway to fame, he was upset and maybe even a little bit angry, if not ashamed that they would do so. Baptism was important to Paul. It is, truly, it is truly a demonstration of our allegiance to Christ, and Paul would have it so. It's an outward explanation to the world around us that we have committed our lives to following the Lord Jesus Christ. A proper spiritual leader would be delighted with those kinds of ideas. So, comments before we move to verse 16? Here's where we're going to learn our new word. Now, here, imagine this. I don't know how Paul was, old Paul was when he wrote this, but I know my memory. I can remember my phone number when I was seven. But I don't 
remember some of the things that I should remember about my precious wife that happened maybe a month ago. And, you know, what did I get her for? What size shoe does she wear? I don't want to ask her again. Paul was, you know, I don't know how old he was, probably in his 50s or 60s. And so here in verse 16, we have a wonderful insight into the, how the inspiration of Scripture works. God does not create a robot into whom he infuses words, phrases, punctuation marks, and dictation that then flows through that person's mouth into his secretary or to, through his own hand onto a piece of paper. He utilized a person and inspired them to take down the truth of Scripture. But he utilized, they had their own personalities, they had their own quirks, their own difficulties. Uh, None of them were perfect. Only the Lord Jesus Christ was perfect. That's another reason Paul would be saying that. So verse 16 says, now, I I can picture Paul. He's talking to his secretary. And he's just waxing elephants. So that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, and then he might have put his hand over the microphone and said, didn't I? Yeah, I did. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any others. So here we have a beautiful insight into Scripture. Paul, the father, is omni-mnemonic. There's your new word. Omni-mnemonic. Perfect memory. He remembers everything. Do you? After this session's over and you listen, we have the, the sermon this morning and you go watch the Super Bowl, you'll probably forget this word. And I'll be so devastated. But O-M-N-I, M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C. I think I made this up, so you guys should all follow me if you want to be the cult of the new word. <laughs> Paul did not have perfect memory. And that's part of Scripture. He's going... I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized any other. Think about this. On the day of Pentecost, when the sermon was preached, and 3,000 people came to the Lord, and they were baptized, it says. Do you think Peter remembers everybody he baptized? 3,000 people? From the scripture, it seems to me it was done in one day, wasn't it? Yeah. How long would it take to baptize 3,000 people? Pretty cool. So here we have, like I said, a wonderful insight. While the Holy Spirit would make certain that everything that was doctrine important would be correct and would be remembered correctly and properly, Paul was not omniscient and he could not remember who he baptized. It would have been several years earlier when he baptized these people and he probably baptized quite a few in the Corinthian church when when that part of the city came to, to the Lord. It would be normal for him not to be able to remember which ones he did baptize. The doctrine of baptism is clearly outlined. It's necessary... But it isn't really important so much as who does it, as to whom it is done for and why, as much of our lives are. So Paul doesn't remember all the people he baptized, but the people that were baptized, what they needed to remember was why they were being baptized and to whom whom they were honoring and committing their allegiance to in that baptism. And it wasn't Paul, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't Apollos, it was Christ. So, any comments? How many of you, yes, he was, as Carolyn said, that Paul, it was encouraging to know that Paul could forget stuff, that he was just like us, he was a forgiven sinner, a forgiven sinner. So forgetting stuff isn't a sin. Making stuff up may very well be. (laughs) 
Pardon me? Well, yeah, but actually... <laughs> okay, we're going to move right along here. Hail Bope, I didn't get to that. Okay, oh, you're going to like this next one. This is interesting. So, making up a word using two words that exist and combining their definitions in such a way that it creates an understanding of what went on is just fine, Pat. How'd, how'd I do? Did I absorb that into my teaching system or what? The sight is in free for a minute. Yeah, then I breathed again. Verse 17. Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ should not be made void, would not be made void. As Paul writes, he recollects some more folks he baptizes in verse 16. It's important to note that he did baptize, and therefore baptism is important. It is an act of obedience that demonstrates our salvation. However, if baptism was actually necessary for salvation, he would have never said something like he said in verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you. He would have never said that. He would have spent his entire time baptizing, frankly. Christ did not send him to baptize. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize specifically, but to preach the gospel. Baptism would follow. He was sent to preach the gospel, not with clever articulation, but simply and directly, so that no one would misunderstand what the cross of Christ had done. This is, this is an, interesting, an interesting study. We, did a, we looked into preaching when we were in the book of Colossians uh, and how important preaching the word is and properly. When we focus on things other than the gospel when we're teaching, even things that are in scripture, we direct attention away from the Lord Jesus Christ and from the work he did on the cross for us. Paul would never do that. Now, that's not to say that you can't have a teaching on the, the, the spreading of the sea for the Israelites to cross, or the earthquake that took the sons of Korah, or etc. But our primary purpose should be understanding Scripture so that we can communicate the gospel, so that we can communicate the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ to people. So there are those who seem to make a bit more of this statement, not in cleverness of speech, than is probably necessary. They contend that he had just come from Athens, and where he disputed with some of the main and big big-name philosophers of the day, possibly. Their contention is that he had spoken in lofty philosophical terms and he had seen little effort, or excuse me, little effect. So when he came to Corinth, he came to Corinth with a different plan. I'm not going to talk so lofty. I'm going to talk more uh, earthy and down-to-earth. We have no way of knowing if that is true in the first place. In the second place, in that section where he speaks with the philosophers in Athens on Mars Hill... He makes clear reference to the God of heaven and he dispels some of their foolish notions about him. Then he brings judgment into the discussion and he culminates with the resurrection of Jesus Christ in his discussion. This was clearly a statement of the gospel with the added aspect of creating a thirst for more information. Now, I'm not very good at that, but there are preachers who are good at that. They're able to uh, give information and create a thirst for more information. The scripture does that. He, um, those people that had that thirst, that that thirst was created into in them, came to him afterwards and asked questions and many were converted. It was the cross of Christ he was preaching. He, he may have tailored it to the, the people he was talking to, but it was in the terms of the cross of Christ. No question. There's nothing wrong with a preface. There's nothing wrong with a denouement. 
But the heart of the story must be the gospel, the cross of Christ. This is what Paul is talking about. When we use clever speech, anecdotes, stories, plots, and intrigues without truly giving the gospel, we're just we're making the cross void. There's nothing wrong with practicing your testimony and making your story engaging. Just be surround, sure that you surround it and infuse it with the scripture and the gospel. Never let your story replace his story. Let your story be because of his story. And so on Sunday mornings when... when Jim's going through the scripture, when I'm going through the scripture, common, constant reference will be made to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Because that has to, our focus has to always come back to that. Has to come back to what the gospel, what the, what the provision of the cross was for those of us who are not perishing, but those of us who are living. Questions, comments on verse 17? Verse 18 is three pages. So we're going to probably get through half of it. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. With the Corinthian church, as with today, there's far too much focus on celebrity. It was that focus that caused the Corinthians to select and line up behind certain people. Peter was a celebrity. As was Apollos, Paul was also, and of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's such a demeaning way to refer to him, but he was looked at as a celebrity. And I've seen some almost blasphemous stuff on the Internet that have just elevate Jesus alongside of pick your favorite sports celebrity. There's no comparison. It's, it's not, those are two things that in that venue shouldn't even be on the same page. Paul spends a great deal of time dealing with this mindset. In the next three chapters, he will, he will revisit this mindset often. It was, it was part of the Greek culture. He begins here by acknowledging the preaching of the cross, or as he says here, the word of the cross is foolishness. We're going to finish with just this first aspect of this, this verse. Um, one man put it this way. He said that today, especially in Christian circles, when we say something like the word of the cross the word of the cross, the teaching of the cross. It seems lofty and noble. But how about this? What if I said this to you? The word of the electric chair is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Would that resonate with you? D.A. Carson put it in his book, The Cross and Christian Ministry, said it this, he said it this way. What would you think if a woman came to work wearing earrings stamped with an image of the mushroom cloud of Hiroshima? How about... What would you think of a church building adorned with a fresco of the massed graves at Auschwitz? The same sort of shocking horror was associated with the cross and crucifixion in the first century. And so in polite circles, people would have recoiled from that statement, the word of the cross. So now you can see why maybe in that day many would have rejected, for the wrong reasons, but would have rejected the preaching of the cross. The gospel... Powerful and wonderful as it is, has to have the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of, of, a, of a potential, if you will, believer, for that heart to be receptive. And to those who have trusted Christ because of that work, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the word of the cross is wonderful, it's life-changing, it's everything. But to unbelievers who have not been prepared by God's Holy Spirit, it's foolish. And so the Greeks especially the, the unsaved Greeks of this time, the philosophers, 
would have said, you speak babbling things, but we will hear more of it tomorrow. The word foolish comes from the Greek word from which we get the word moron. Atheists see us as moronic. They're wrong. Well, sometimes they're wrong. Some of, some of us <laughs> are pretty moronic, but I'm working on it. And without the, benefit of work, uh, without the benefit of the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, their evaluation is actually consistent with their worldview. They just have the wrong worldview. What can change that worldview? Can my wise, lofty, incredibly intelligent and logical argument do that? Not a chance. <laughs> so those of you that know me go, when were you ever that way anyway? <laughs> okay. Now, the audio doesn't show the color of someone's face, does it? Okay, good, because mine's red right now. Where was I before I said that? <laughs> I'm, I'm with Paul. I, I, I baptized other people, didn't I? The Father, the Holy Spirit, must work in the lives of any of us who are going to be born again, who are going to be saved. I can't do it. You can't do it. Only the Spirit of God can do it. And so we'll get into more of this next week. But the first thing we need to pray when we're praying for someone's salvation is that the Lord would plow up their their soil, that He would bend their stiff neck, just like He had to do with ours. Because it's only going to be a work of God that will change that heart. And Paul knows that. And that's what he's teaching. Let's pray. Father, we are saints by calling. We are saints by birth, but only because of your work. Because of nothing we added, nothing we did. And so this morning we thank you again and again for that. What a wonderful thing it is to know that we are not perishing. And also what a wonderful thing it is to know that you chose us. Why? We have no idea. But we are grateful. And so we ask that for others in our lives. Plow up those hearts, bend those stiff necks, and turn those minds to accept and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.